My brothers and sisters in the four corners of the country, I salute you. This is Martin Moïse speaking to you. Until last week, Martine Moise was the First Lady of Haiti. But on Wednesday, July 7th, her husband, President Jovenel Moise, was abruptly and shockingly assassinated in their home. We spent 25 years together with deep love in our family. One day, mercenaries came to our home and riddled us with bullets. Martine Moise posted this audio note on Twitter calling for justice. Without President Jovenel Moïse, my husband, the man who loved us so much, we can't let the country lose its way. So the fight he was leading, we must continue to carry it. But the fight he was leading was not entirely popular in Haiti. During his four years in office, Jovenel Moïse faced frequent calls for his resignation. People accused him of corruption and mismanagement, and Haiti's stability fell further and further during his four years in office. Now, there's a power vacuum at the highest levels. But with gangs running the capital streets and extremely high poverty across the country, Haiti was in a state of crisis long before Moïse's killing. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The details of Moïse's killing read a little like a mystery novel. Gunman entered his home in the middle of the night with alarming ease, shot him 12 times, and injured his wife as well. Haitians locally and abroad were shocked to wake up to the news. Here's activist Monique Kleska in the capital Port-au-Prince. She was an outspoken critic of Moïse when he was president. I think the first thing was shock, total shock. And then the other thing, when I had time to actually think about it, basically, it was a death penalty. And the the death penalty is unconstitutional in Haiti. And basically, he was given the death penalty for something that I have no idea what it was for. So it's totally unacceptable. We also heard from Johnny Celestine, a Haitian-American who used to work for the Ministry of Planning. I felt anger at such a horrible act. I felt sadness for his family and certainly concerns for the country. It was unclear what was going to happen next. And I felt that Haiti could not live through a full-fledged battle for power, given the vacuum that existed after the president's assassination. Haiti's police have been working for the past week to provide clarity on the attack. They've arrested around two dozen suspects. And they say a 63-year-old man named Christian Emmanuel Sano, was born in Haiti but lives in Florida, was the mastermind of the plot. They say he hired mercenaries to kill Moise and planned to take over the presidency himself. But many Haitians are skeptical of this official version of events largely because of the complex context around Moise's presidency and death. To understand that, I spoke with Jetri Dumont, a journalist in Port-au-Prince. I'm the director of Aibo Post, a multimedia company in Haiti. 
He spoke to us from his house on Friday, two days after the attack, and it seemed, in some small ways, that life was returning to normal. Down the hill, there's a school that stopped working for two days, and today it's the first day they've opened since Jovenel's assassination. So the kids seems to be very happy. There's a little more noise than it is usually, so... <laughs> But still, when I asked Jetri to summarize the current situation in Haiti, he painted a grim picture. Economically, the situation has been at its worst since right after the earthquake. In 2010, a powerful 7.0 earthquake left the country destroyed and killed between 200 and 300,000 people. The earthquake in Haiti decimated what industry existed there. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and also one of the most unequal in the world. It's not that there's no money in Haiti. It's just mostly in the hands of the rich. What has happened in the past, we can say, 10 years, is that a lot of big businessmen has become political players, too. So, for example, you would find a senator that is a huge businessman that controls part of an industry. And that goes all the way to the top. Jovenal Moïse was a successful Haitian exporter before he was sworn into office in 2017. So it seems in recent years we're merging toward a moment in history where there would be no line between the private sector and the political sector. And then on top of that, there has been a political crisis as well, right? I understand Parliament has been suspended. Why is that? Parliament has been suspended a year and a half because Jovenel Moïse and his government never organized elections. So for the past four years, they were supposed to have two elections. None of them happened. So at some point, two-thirds of the Senate and the entire lower chamber, so the deputies, they were, with the approval of Jovenel Moïse himself, they were sent home. In the absence of strong governance, gangs have come to rule entire neighborhoods of Port-au-Prince, and they're constantly fighting each other. The United Nations estimates that just in the past month and a half, more than 14,000 Haitians have had to flee their homes because of gang violence. And rights groups warn there have been state-sanctioned massacres of civilians as a result of the gang wars. I asked Jetri what that's like for people living in the city. For day-to-day life people, it looks like fear. Fear has become part of our daily lives. We cannot move in our country freely. For the past month and a half, Two-thirds of the country, the middle part and the north part, could not have access to the southern part of the country because of the gang fights that are happening. I have family in the south. I cannot go visit them. To explain to you the magnitude of the problem. So there's a city that is an hour and 15 minutes away from Port-au-Prince in the south called Petit Guave. There's a group that have a charity organization in this area, and they needed to go there. So they took a plan. Instead of taking the road, it's just one hour and 15 minutes. Since they could not take the road, they took the plan to go to Jacmel, which is in the southeast of Haiti, and then 
to drive to Petit Guave. On their way on the plane, the plane crashed and everybody died. So this is an example to show you how far people are going to avoid the area. Hmm. How did it get like this? It got like this first because of the gun issue. And this issue leads us to the United States involvement in that mess because 95% of the guns that are used by the gangs are American built guns from American companies that are shipped to Haiti. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that they have the political backing of a lot of players in the political world. It was the case for Mr. President Jovenel Moïse, but also from the opposition parties who also have had um, in the last years a very close relationship with gangs. So it's political power and it's the involvement or the non-involvement of the U.S. in the gun trade. Also, it's part of the businessmen who uses these gangs to gain markets and also to protect their business. So it's not a simple issue to fix. It's not a simple issue to analyze because it's multifaceted. Do people feel like Moise's government was doing enough to combat the gangs? Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. For two years, even the language of the gang was similar to the government. It's clear that they fed each other. Moise often blamed what he called the oligarchy for preventing him and the government more generally from making any progress on combating some of the things that you just raised as problems in the country. The state that we have today is a predatory state that is governed by a few corrupt oligarchs who seek to control the key areas of development. The state is trapped. After my experience as the head of this state, I can tell you that this is the case. What do you think he meant by that? It's a complex issue because in reality, there are oligarchies in Haiti, for real, controlling many industries and not providing services that are on par with the amount of money that they're making. That's a fact that it, it is happening in Haiti. But the way Jovenel Moïse have used that issue, it's more of a replacement plan than a change of the system plan. Jatri says that many oligarchs in Haiti do have a strong grip on their industries, and that translates to economic power that they can use to control the government too. But he says Moïse didn't seem to tackle that problem at its root. He used it as an excuse to topple businessmen who opposed him and replace them with his supporters. So the problem is real, but the way the president approached it was very politically motivated and economically motivated. So it wasn't an approach that really cared for the well-being of the Haitian people. This laundry list of reasons is why there were protests against Moise almost from the day he took office. In 2017... People here are angry and they're protesting not only against corruption, but also against the government. 2018, 
We are taken to the streets because the president is keeping the people hostage. Everything is overpriced, unemployment is high, and people are hungry. We need to free Haiti from all of that. Things really picked up in 2019 when he was implicated in the Petro-Caribe scandal. The Petro-Caribe fund comes from an initiative from Venezuela's former president, Hugo Chavez. He wanted to have South-South cooperation with countries in Latin America, Haiti, Dominican Republic. But what happened is that they, they have been spending that money and years later we realized that all those projects that they were supposed to realize, they didn't realize them. And earlier this year in 2021, when protesters accused him of unconstitutionally extending his term in office. They say his mandate ends this Sunday. But Moise disagrees. He says his five-year term began when he was sworn in in 2017 and that he still has one year in power. But members of the opposition say Moise's term began in 2016 in the wake of chaotic elections. Clearly, things were complicated. And now, even more so. Or as Jetri put it... Actually, now we have a pretty pretty interesting and absurd situation. Before um, Jovenel Moïse's assassination, two days before, not even two days, between 28 to 36 hours before, he nominated another prime minister called Ariel Henry. So the outing prime minister, Mr. Claude Joseph, was supposed to leave power. The next day, Jovenel Moïse is assassinated. So now there's a power struggle between these two camps. Who's going to take power? It seems like it's going to be Claude Joseph because it seems like they have the international community's support, especially the United States. Here's U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price on Thursday, July 8th. The secretary spoke yesterday uh, with acting prime minister Claude Joseph. Claude Joseph uh, was the incumbent in the position. He was serving as the acting prime minister before uh, the assassination of President Moise. Uh, we continue to work uh, with Claude Joseph as such. This is a huge support it, and it's heavyweight. So I think if, if I'm taking into consideration our recent history, Claude Joseph will be the one winning that arm wrestling between him and Ariel Henry, who, who unfortunately was the last decision that Jovenel Moïse took before dying. You mentioned the U.S., and we can't actually have this conversation about the state of Haiti without talking about the United States. Their involvement over the years has played into what we see in Haiti today. So how much do you think your average Haitian thinks about their involvement and how much are they to blame for Haiti's current state? To understand the magnitude of American influence in Haiti's affair, I don't know if you've seen the clips of the mercenaries getting to Jovenel Moïse's houses. The first thing they said, they were agent of DEA. And a lot of people think um, that's one of the reasons why there was no exchanging gunfire. And it is possible because in the Haitian mind, the USA as a superpower is very present. To understand it, you can look at any chapter of the history of Haiti for the past 110 years, 115 years. There's no way you're not going to see some form of American involvement. 
Wow, that's just a given. Yes, and I have to say that a lot of Haitians, intellectuals, are worried about an occupation or about a UN troops involvement in the situation. Oh, wow. Which, of course, Haitians have a history with. They know it very well, both UN involvement and U.S. occupation. Yes, we have 1915 with the U.S. for more than 15 years. And then in 1915, United States Marines land in Haiti to battle Haitian bandits, threatening destruction of American properties. And native bandits quickly head for the hills. 1994, with the U.S. again for a few months. 2004, with the U.N. that carried through still today. It's no more military occupation by MINUSTA, which was the U.N. mission in Haiti. But it's still there diplomatically and politically, they're still present in Haiti. So, Jethri, we have talked about an economic crisis, a political crisis, a security crisis, and all of that was happening before Moise's assassination. When you think about what happens next, what do you think it will take to pull Haiti out of these various crises? The first thing I always say to people is that Haiti is a young nation. The U.S. too is a young nation, but it's really two different stories. You have one of them, you had the colonizers, therefore educated, that decided to create their own nation. And another one, you had slaves, mostly uneducated, who decided to create a nation and to create a nation against the will of every super powerful countries in that era. And they were punished for that. Of course, we, we, were, we were punished for that. And, and the most important thing, I think, is that there was no precedent. There was no, no example to follow. So we're a young nation. I'm sure we're going to make a lot of mistakes. But also, we have the tools to, to take the proper decisions to create and reinforce the institution. Because the Haiti's problem, it's an institution problem. Uh, so it's complex because very often you have two sides around the Haitian issue. You have a side that says it's a Haitian thing and Haitian needs to put um, themselves together and fix the issue. And you have another side that says it's an international issue. But the reality is, to me, is that it's a mix of both of them. Monique Kleska, the activist we heard from earlier, agrees that Haitians have the agency to fix their own problems. The solution, she says, lies with civil society, not the politicians. They are fighting between each other, and I don't think it's about us. I don't think anybody is saying you know what, people, there are 40% of Haitians who are in a deep food security crisis. I don't think they're saying that. I don't think they're saying, wait a minute, we're in the middle of a COVID emergency. What can we do? The, the civil society, the commission that I'm a part of, that's what we're saying. Let's hit the pause button and let's Haitians start getting together. Let's talk to each other. Let's talk with each other. And I think that is the only possible constructive way forward. 
And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilvey, Wadina Kispe, Amy Walters, Nagin Auliai, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Aya Al-Milek is The Take's engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tom Fenton is our story editor. And Stacey Samuel is executive producer. We'll be back.